Welcome to Diner Talks with James. Slide into the booth and let's have conversations we never want to end with friends we never want to leave over food we probably shouldn't be eating. Welcome to Diner Talks with James. I'm James. Friends, so excited to have you here. We got a hell of an episode. We got the one and only Dr. Josie Alquist in the building. She loves when I put the emphasis on Dr. That's not true. But either way, uh, really excited for you to meet her if you haven't already. She is brilliant and just super fun and has one of my favorite laughs also. But we'll see if I can make her laugh. I don't know about that. But either way... We still have standards here, friends. I know I missed one week, but it's okay because we're back out here and we still got the top three, top three. Let's go. Most of these are actually Josie inspired because she lives out in Los Angeles now, um, which is a fun fact. Shout out to LA. Oh my God. What? You're from LA. Cool. Anyway, so here are my three favorite things to do whenever I go to LA. Judge me if you need to. First off, first off, number three is I love to get dipping noodle ramen. I can't find it anywhere else in the country. It's probably some other places, but LA has dipping noodle ramen uh, where you actually, they give you the, the noodles in a separate bowl and you dip them into the broth and then pick them up. Sometimes the noodles are cold. You heat them in the hot broth. It is delicious. For those of you ramen heads out there, that's called Tsukamen ramen. Okay. Getting fancy out here. Look out Tsukamen. So next Here's one of my favorite things about, in general, in general, the West Coast, but LA in particular, is that I grew up on the East, and in the East Coast, you got Dunkin' Donuts, and then you got Krispy Kreme eventually. Now they've kind of all merged together. You can get them all around, but if you want donuts, you pretty much get them at one of those two places. There's some bakeries here and there that make some decent donuts, but I love it on the West Coast because they just got Dunkin' Donuts like two years ago and they saw these all these mom and pop all these mom and pop donut shops everywhere and i just freaking love them and so i eat a lot of donuts in la and i'm very happy okay as far as i'm concerned the o in love is a donut all right and last but not least here's a cliche thing that i love to do but la the hustle the bustle the traffic it's real okay i don't know why i'm sitting in traffic at 2 p.m on a saturday Where's everybody going? Anyway, but my favorite place to drive is Mulholland Drive. I love getting up in those mountains uh, and driving up there in the canyons. It's absolutely stunning. I don't care if it's a cliche. It's beautiful, y'all. And uh, it's really special. That's first top three, top three. Next, Josie does a lot of stuff with social media. And we'll get into that in a little bit. But I thought it'd be fun if I took us way back to three old school internet facts about James. Okay, here we go. My first email address ever, my first email address ever was something like 74976352 at compuserve.mail.com. This was before you could like pick your email address even. You just got some random numbers. Okay, that happened. Next, my AOL Instant Messenger screen name. Did you have AOL Instant Messenger? If you did, let me know what your screen name was in the chat, my friends. Don't make me be the only one out here. But my AOL Instant Messenger screen name was Scuba Putts. Scuba putts. Tell your friends. Here's the thing. I wanted to be a marine biologist, so I loved scuba diving. And then also, grumpy old men is a 
incredible movie. And my best friend, Kevin and I, to this day, still call each other putts. Yes, I know what putts means. We still call each other that. Okay, Scuba Putts. What was your AOL Instant Screen name? Don't come for me yet, all right? Yes, okay. Elizabeth Ditsy Baby 2107. I love it. Here's why I chose Scuba Putts also. And no disrespect to you, Ditsy Baby, is that I didn't want one with numbers. I said, no, James, you are original enough that you don't have to come up with one that has numbers. Uh, Scott, if this is true, that's incredible. Scott's, uh, Scott's name was Elmo underscore he he. Love it. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> All right. And last but not least, uh, my MySpace page. This is old school MySpace, the actual and pretty much only MySpace as, I'm, far, far as I'm concerned. Regularly had songs from Creed playing. That's right, friends. I was a giant Creed fan. I've seen Creed live, uh, and uh, I really like Creed. Celebrated their entire discography as a fact, my friends. Uh, so uh, shout out to Creed out here. Next and last, top three, top three. Fun fact about Josie, she is a triathlete, all right? She's a triathlete. So here are the top three things you do in a triathlon. Run, swim, and bike. Thank you so much, my friends. Those were tonight's top three, top three. Those were in the order that I would do them if I could, uh, but your boy ain't doing that. <clears throat> so let's jump in. Tonight's guest is Dr. Josie Alquist. And she is incredible. She is a social media researcher. She's a doctor. She's teaching. She's taught at Florida State, still teaches at Florida State, even though she lives in L.A. They're like, no, teach us in Florida, too. Come on over. She's done a whole bunch of great work at, at Loyola Marymount University in the past as well. And she is just a brilliant mind. Uh, the work that she has done in social media has helped so many colleges and universities, their presidents, their vice presidents, directors, and whatnot, uh, enter their journey of getting into social media so that they can use it as the tool to meet students where they're at. Her work is incredible, um, and she is just so freaking smart and a ton to be around. So, my friends, let's bring her out right now, the one and only Josie Alquist. I have been laughing a lot while I was hidden. Well, that's perfect, Josie. What tickled you, Josie? All the, all the tickles. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Welcome to the diner, my friend. How are you today? Oh, my feet are hanging off the chair as if we were really there. Perfect. Perfect. My feet don't touch the ground in any they chair. Yeah. You describe yourself as fun size. Is that true? You know, you got to embrace it. The mm -hmm. first time I was told I was short was in third grade and it blew my mind. I was so upset. I cried to my teacher who is like seven feet. I swear. At least that's what he felt like in third grade. <laughs> and he laughs at me. He's like, but you are. And uh, it was the existential crisis that I eventually had to accept. Wow. How, now, how long did it take you to get over the thing that's like, okay, I'm short and let me just like, when did you start embracing it? Did that happen pretty early on? Or were you like trying to hold yourself on the bar in the closet being like, get longer? <laughs> um, well, I mean, I would say through like elementary school then it was just like, yeah. I'm just like going to ignore that because we're all still, I felt like kind of small. Um, but once I started to look around at my family, I was like, yep, this is in the cards. We're all 
<laughs> We're all little people. <laughs> Turns out genetics are a thing. Who knew? <laughs> but what's yeah. funny is I, I mean, getting later into high school, my dating mm. patterns were pretty wild. Okay. Uh, like, like your height minimum tall, like six, three, six, four and above. Yeah. What was it about being with someone that was that tall? That was intriguing to you. Uh, I don't, we were like, I just want us to at least, I want us to average out to like the normal (laughs) athletics had something to do with it. And also just this idea of a strong ox football player that I had in my mind. Um, and then just like over, and then I found the absolute opposite, even though he's an ox in other ways. Um, facts, <laughs> facts. <laughs> uh, that's awesome. That is a super fun fact that I did not know about you. And now here's the thing is that you grew up predominantly in Wyoming, uh, and, mm-hmm. and the men out there come burly. I mean, that's a, that's a, a burly state. I would, I mean, those are, uh, when you think about like, the the ticks of masculinity i feel like a lot of us go to men in wyoming um that are out there rolling the rain and they're riding the actual bull not just the one that we're awkwardly doing on on beale street in memphis or something like that yeah we're working people uh hard workers yeah i mean there's obviously the challenge with that of not being connected with their feelings and how Mm -hmm. we get those out is we have fights uh, it was very common to see dads go out, like fight each other at a baseball game. And maybe that happens everywhere, but I was like, oh, look like Sam's dad's taking on whoever's dad today because of a bad call. <laughs> like, this is literally fighting words. This is my dad didn't do that. He's a very gentle man. Yeah, yeah, for sure. That's so fun. So they would literally go at each other. And now this is back in the day. Like, I mean, is that? Uh, is that like pre, I guess like pre guns, so to speak, like right now, like a lot of things escalate so quickly where all of a sudden guns get drawn, right. Or knives and stuff like that. Like, but that's like back in the day where like people just settled fight. They came out, they hit, they, they, they like punched each other. And then they were like, we're at the bar later that night. Laughing. We're good now. <laughs> I mean, guns is part of the culture growing up. Like I was yeah. certified in hunter safety. Like, I don't even remember that being an option in your toolkit of like self-expression because it was, it really was for recreation that unfortunately, if we want to go a little dark, like where those have been used statistically in Wyoming is for suicides, Mm. Um, which, you know, sorry, bringing it down, but yeah. But also see previous comments, honestly, about how men not being able to talk about their feelings because they're supposed to keep it all inside. Right. And then uh, I mean, but that's that's the thing that play. And when we think about why male suicide rates are so much higher than women's, a lot of it comes down with the uh, a lot of it comes back down to that. Right. This mm-hmm. our inability to externally process what we are dealing with. Yeah. I mean, I was like in middle school asking for therapy. And they're like, no. They're like, just go see your counselor. I was like, okay, I'll go do that. I, I was made for LA. Everyone is a therapist, a healer, a, a Reiki. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Get your crystals out, Josie. Uh, for sure. Oh, you actually have. Okay, great. Um, <laughs> I don't understand crystals. Maybe we'll get into those later. Uh, but uh, I can heal you. No, I'm just kidding. Thank, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> 
I'll try anything. <laughs> so, uh, so here's a question for you. Um, you grew up in Wyoming and you now live in the second largest city in the United States. Uh, and, and quite the opposite of, uh, I guess, well, many would consider the opposite of Wyoming is Los Angeles, uh, especially the, the version of Wyoming that most of us know about, which are just kind of really from movies and tumbleweeds and wild horses um, and, and whatnot, right? Like, I mean, I didn't know much else about it. Uh, and, uh, and so what has that switch been like for you? Uh, when did it happen? And was there, was there a transition period or was it more like, I found my people? <laughs> Well, first, let me make sure that I like look out for my people because anywhere I go, like, I don't know, some cab driver or colleague, they find out I'm from Wyoming and they look at me like I'm a unicorn. Like, I've never met someone from Wyoming before. Like, um, so there's lots of misconceptions of what it means to be yeah. from there, or even a small town. And I mean, I would say those people will be with you through thick and thin. Like they'll bring the, ca I mean, maybe this is like a, in Minnesota with, you know, like Wisconsin kind of thing too. Like they will be with you through thick, yucky stuff. Right. When, yeah. when ish hits the fan. Um, but I knew, I knew probably as early as middle school that like, it wasn't enough for me. Just, I needed more things. Um, I knew right away that it was, I was surrounded pretty much by all white people that all kind of thought the same. And again, I was just seeing stuff on TV. We didn't have social media back then. Um, and I was like, I want to hang out with those people. Um, so I think that was, that wasn't me putting the intention to move to LA because it was in the eighties and nineties where everything horrible in the world was happening here from the earthquakes to like major fires and riots. And if anything, I was saying, I don't even want to visit California, let alone buy a home in Los Angeles. So lesson learned, never say never. <laughs> um, and honestly, LA is a hard city. It's a working city for entertainment yeah. and a few other types of businesses. And you really, and then maybe New York is the same way that you once you find good people, like you really hold on to them that you can tell like, okay, this is, this is an earthy, meaty person yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that just isn't trying to like get me for contacts or something. Um, even though they all mean well, right. But they're here to work. They're here to like network at a conference, but they do that every single day at coffee shops and grocery stores. And yeah. that was, a that was a, it was really hard when I first moved here was I would just want to strike up a conversation with someone and it became, I, I quickly figured out like, oh, I'm kind of being dismissed because I'm not in the industry or something. And oh, I used to take it really personal. And it's like, no, it's just like me at NASPA, right? I mean, not like I'm dismissing people, but like, um, it's just like a more focused type of connections that friendships still happen. It just looks different. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. When you're at those professional conferences, like, like a NASPA for higher education professionals and stuff like that. Yeah. I mean, they, you zone in on what you're actually doing there. There's a purpose uh, behind it. And I definitely felt that in New York as well. You hear that really, you hear that a ton of that in DC for sure. Um, some of those, what I guess would be considered more transient cities, right. Um, where people are like, let's get in, let me chase these dreams. This is where I need to be. Who do you know? Listen, you're either helping me climb the ladder or you're distracting me from the ladder. Um, <laughs> 
and uh, yeah, I, I can totally see that. But it's interesting because I know, I mean, moving to New York for me, uh, moving to New York, it was, uh, it was infectious to be a part of that. I loved the energy of it. And I loved the idea of like, I'm around people who are getting it. And so like, mm-hmm. I'm either going to get it also, and I got to bust my butt to do it and keep up, or I'm going to get trampled by, uh, get trampled by the crowd as they try to walk past me. Mm-hmm. And so I enjoyed being a part of that, but I also noticed another side of it in me, which is like, you're, it's so much easier to compare yourself to others in that, right? And in, in an environment that isn't like that, you're comparing yourself to like, well, their lawn's greener than mine, right? Or they have a bigger truck or they have, uh, or their kids learned how to, uh, I don't know, read earlier than mine, right? Like some of those kind of things. Uh, I don't know. I'm just, these are general, what I'm assuming small town problems are. Um, but, uh, <laughs> um, but still, uh, the, the comparison game is real. Have you felt that at all? with you? Like, did you get into some of those comparisons and stuff like that? Or is you're not necessarily, uh, though you are entertaining, you're not necessarily in the entertainment business, right? You're an educator uh, Mm. by trade and by passion. Uh, Well, to kind of relate it to LA and like who I am, like some people love to go drive around fancy neighborhoods or like who lives where, or to like, just like browse around Louis Vuitton or whatever. And that just like, Break! I can't do it. Like I'm competitive and I'm like, I don't want to look at a thing that I can't have or I mean, just a lifestyle I wouldn't want anyway. So that was the other hard thing about LA. Like literally you would run into a celebrity and you realize like, I don't, sometimes I just want to pretend they just live in those boxes. <laughs> Even though many of them are good people. Um, but so to relate it to my work. So I moved out here Still, like, I met a boy, and that's why it was L.A. I was going to do the higher ed student affairs campus work work. So that's pretty linear and clear, and that is how I was – I mean, how I – grew up like you get a job and you climb that ladder and do that thing and then I do think it was influenced by um, being out here this entrepreneur type of spirit and and honestly it's it doesn't come naturally Um, and the comparison thing definitely is real Um, that's why it's great to have people like you in my corner to be like am I crazy like what's am I doing okay (laughs) and I'm like yes we're all crazy let's just keep swimming (laughs) yeah um so yeah i mean even i tweeted today i have a book coming out next week and i'm like up to my nose in imposter syndrome i'm like what are you doing like so yeah 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 that's some real stuff right that imposter syndrome is real especially especially when you run in certain circles or anything like that i had this experience where i had an opportunity to speak to a bunch of phd wielding folks um and uh at, at a university in pennsylvania and i don't i don't have a phd right i have a master's but the thing is is that the people with phds would love to tell you just the difference between those two um and there's a big gap um and uh and it's true it really is it's a lot of work uh, in between those two levels um, compared to a bachelor's and a master's in particular. And so, uh, but so I rolled into that room being like, who, what, who are you actually going to talk to right now? You're definitely the dumbest person in the room because PhD equals brilliant in imposter syndrome language, right? Um, for me in that case. And it was so fascinating 
how we, I tried to have to navigate it and get over it and realize that you bring something to every single space that you walk into. Um, but it's really tough to get around that barrier that you built. That's way higher um, than it actually is in real life. Mm. Yeah. For you with the imposter syndrome. I mean, like you mentioned, you know, you have this, you have this book coming out but, and we'll, and we'll get to that for sure, Josie, but I'm curious, like, where does that imposter syndrome live right now? What does it look like? Um, the way I wired my brain over time was if I can run the scenarios, the worst cases, then if they don't happen, mm -hmm. then I'm kind of covered. I'm thinking ahead of what might go wrong. Um, so I'm obviously with my crystals and my meditation, I'm trying to clear out pathways and rewire my brain not to be always thinking first thing negative. And because at the same time, I'm getting already lots of praise for it. Um, so it, it's a constant wrestling match of call, like calling myself out for it, but also calling others in to make sure they're like kind of reminding me that it's good, um, that I'm good. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. I love that. Right. Call. I, I think you just said something really brilliant. Uh, call yourself out for it. Like check yourself, but also call others in. I really love the way that you put that um, because it's like, sometimes we don't have to do this alone. Right. Um, see previous conversations, uh, but we don't have to do this alone we can have individuals who hold us accountable and maybe it's not, it's not always, we don't need people to hold us accountable to the deadlines. Sure. If you need that, get that. But sometimes it's hold, having people hold us accountable to the way we think about ourselves um, mm -hmm. and realizing that we are frequently our own worst enemies. I mean, I know for me, Josie, when, when my, uh, when my book came out, <laughs> this one right here, it's called product placement. The movies tell me this, um, <laughs> but uh, I know that when my book came out, uh, I did, basically did no marketing for it. I did no marketing for it because I was sure it wasn't good enough. Like I was just like, I don't want to waste people's time. I don't want to be in your inbox. I don't want to be in your social media feed. I don't want to be running these competitions. Like why am I running competitions about something that's mediocre? And I literally started writing my second book the week that my first one came out on the, on the principle. It's like, that one wasn't good enough. Why don't you try again, boo boo. Um, right. Like, and uh, so that, I mean, that those, those voices in our head are super strong. Right. What have you found that the people around you are helping you to like, how are they lifting you up? How are they calling you out, holding you accountable to hold yourself at a higher place? Well, just real quickly to react to what you had mentioned about writing the second book is yeah. some coping or some harm we can do to ourselves is then trying to always make it up to ourselves. I'm going to work harder. I'm mm. not going to take any days off this weekend. I'm, you know, I have to do X more podcast episodes to always try to make up for it. Yeah. Um, and again, like I have to sit and check myself on it about, well, why are you really doing this thing? And I also say that now while I'm I'm confident some of the things I'm doing right now are probably for my own self healing, not even healing. Like I'm trying to fill stuff that yeah. probably a therapist should be doing. <laughs> <laughs> These um, rocks aren't doing it. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, like even as I joked how in middle school, I was asking for a therapist is I, the good thing is I, um, 
I'm not shy about asking for help or like calling in friends, especially like writing through the book. I have like a number of folks on speed dial to like text message or jump on a call with. I think I'm always worried that then I'm like asking too much of them or being like an inconvenience. Mm -hmm. Um, So then I'm always wanting to like, how can I help them in return? Right. Um, So I guess I would just say like, if you need help, ask for it. Not saying like your Twitter feed should be full of like calls for help. (laughs) Like there's a difference. Um, But I think you'd be surprised how many people want to be in your corner. And that's also really humbling. to see. That's beautiful. And it also speaks volumes of who we are, right? Like, I mean, you are someone who gives um, and doesn't expect things in return. You are someone who uh, adds value to every room that you are in. And, but sometimes we don't always see that. We don't get that praise, especially as educators. We don't always get that. Like maybe we'll get that thank you note from that student or that person we supervised like 10 years down the road. We're like, Hey, Sorry, I was a pain in the ass. You were a good person, Um, right? Like, or, hey, you said this one thing to me this one time. And I still think about that to this day. Like, wow, I had no idea. I don't even remember saying that to you, but it sounds good, Um, right? Like those moments where you don't always know when when you're teaching even, uh, right? And I think we can say the same for our parents as well. Like, I mean, there's things that my parents said that didn't click until I was yesterday right like until i was like 38 i was like oh oh (laughs) right and uh and so uh it's fascinating Uh, it's fascinating definitely the way that uh, the way that goes and i love that you've uh that you've let your team the people that you've built around your network lift you up um that's beautiful but you're right that's hard it's hard to do it's hard to get over yourself there's this there's this weird valor to like, I did it all myself, um, right? With no help, no mentors, no role models, just me started for the bottom and I'm here, right? Like that kind of stuff. Uh, but that's bullshit. Um, and uh, yeah, that's not a story that we need to write. You don't earn extra credit points uh, doing it that way. Um, and so, yeah, I, I love the way you put that. Uh, but Josie, we've been teasing it enough. Uh, can you tell people what what is this book that you got coming out that you've been working so hard on? Well, talking about um, not being not making choices and for certain reasons that aren't the right reasons. Um, so this will be the last book that I write on my own. I made it a goal of a couple of years ago to collaborate more. I miss like playing with people like, (laughs) like I need teammates and, uh, and dreamers and the book doing it alone. That was why I called on so many other people to like, we literally had a group me and my worst of days was mostly in that feed to a select group of people that you were part of. Um, but uh, it's one of those things that I knew, like getting my doctorate, I, I just kind of knew instinctually, like you're going to write a book someday. And there was such relief in knowing that, like, okay, this is just what I'm going to do next. Cause there's so many things in life that we can discern a million times over mm-hmm. about what I'm going to do. Um, so I knew I had to do it, uh, and, and obviously like do it right. But it don't ask me the question, when's the next book? Because <laughs> Well, if it is, it's, I'm writing it with you because I don't want to do another one on my own. 
Um, so this book is called Digital Leadership in Higher Ed. Uh, around the time of my doctorate, I started, which was like, I, I started in 2013. I was early captivated about social media in higher ed um, through a marketing perspective, but also through a leadership perspective, because I was a, I was a leadership educator. I was working with students to run social media. And then I was also noticing at the time that there were some campus leaders who could jump on a tool like Twitter and just show up and, and students loved it. And then I worked at a campus at the time where our leadership wouldn't even go near it, like, <laughs> like, or, or, or admit it existed a tool like Twitter. And so get starting the, the doctorate, they're like, well, what do you want to research? What questions do you have? So I was like, well, what is the difference between a leader who has that ability to jump on a tool like Twitter versus those that run for the Hills? So that was my first beta research. It wasn't my dissertation. Mm -hmm. I looked at, 16 vice presidents who, again, were just like showing up on Twitter and students were really digging it. Um, and so that was the concept idea of the book when I pitched it in 2016 was mm -hmm. that I wanted to give a framework to uh, educational leaders of how they could show up on social media that wasn't awkward, <laughs> that was authentic, and of course was aligned with the values of education as well as themselves. Mm -hmm. And then that expanded to include people from all over campus, but also presidents, but also grad students. Um, there definitely needs to be a whole separate book about like new professionals and mid-levels, how they are navigating social and the privileges they don't have mm -hmm. like an executive would. Sure. Um, but that's a different conversation. So this book, there's exercises in it. Um, there is, I think, a refreshing take. Folks won't be shamed to get on any tools. Um, I hope they walk away feeling like um, they're given permission to be um to show up in the way it's supposed to be and that's in a personalized way it doesn't need to be overcomplicated from that that's awesome josie and here's what i love about the book also i mean obviously in the title you talk about higher education but it's really for anybody any educator um absolutely and, and individuals who also uh you know potentially manage teams and, and and whatnot i mean i think uh there's there's so many individuals that this book is also for correct yeah, I think you could replace the word students as it's written in an example and replace that with whoever your audience is. And that's a big thing about showing up through the lens of leadership online is you are making the conscious mindset and decision that you're going to use this tool to positively influence those that you want to attract to you. And that's not just like being an influencer on Instagram and like then selling products, right? Like right. <laughs> uh, it's getting to the core of who you are and then letting that come to light in digital spaces. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. That's dope. Uh, that's cool. And I love it because you're one of the only people who's talking about it too. Um, and it, it's interesting because when you think about leadership, right? A lot of times when you think about leadership, you think about one-on-one -on -one interactions or one person to many. Uh, you don't often think about 
what leadership in the digital world looks like. Yet there are all accounts that uh, there are a number of accounts that we all could point point to where we're like, oh, this person is is doing good work from afar, right? From from a tweet, from a post, from a, a share, from a whatever. Um, and that that leadership can happen in many of those ways, but uh, we often see individuals not not seeing social media as a platform that leadership can occur from, be sparked from. Why do you think that is? Yeah, I've heard that that leadership cannot happen online. Um, there's definitely pockets of campus i.e. faculty that are so hard to get in front of to share why a tool would be worth their time in not just a uh, even just an academic way. Um, I think at the heart of this and something that I had to come to terms with in the last couple years is social media um, and technology like you had started out talking about your AOL username and things. What was your screen name, Josie? Hoser Joe. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Interview over. Greatest question. Hoser Joe. Stop it. <laughs> um, okay. Back to talking points. Oh, yes, of course. Yes, sorry, sorry. Yes, yeah. Um, <laughs> social media is personal. We first got on these platforms mm. probably to connect with our closest of family and friends. And now as they're entering in the workplace, people and this could be a generational thing, can get quite defensive that they're like, no, I need these boundaries or they see Twitter as a hotbed of, you know, like political drama or, you know, I mean, those things definitely do exist, Yeah. but it's actually quite a, um, I mean, it's, <laughs> it's funny, like, it's not like selfies and memes, right? That <laughs> folks can see get really triggered about social. It's not simple whatsoever. Yet we're not having intentional conversations in our families or in our workplaces or sometimes like even in our intimate relationships about how these tools are going to intentionally show up for each other um, and ourselves. So a big piece of leadership is self-awareness. And that's where the book starts out at is who are you? How do you want to show up no matter the context? Mm. And then, okay, well, let's see what you've done online. Is that congruent? And this is the same stuff I teach students too, um, that in some ways, sometimes we've distanced ourselves and, or not given it its weight of how, what we do in these digital spaces could have a real impact either way. So hang on a second, Josie. You mean to tell me that authenticity is important online? I don't know if I buy it. Uh, <laughs> but no, you're right. You're so right. Uh, that authenticity uh, is 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 critical in the way that we show up. Um, and I think you, you even mentioned it earlier where you talked about like, hey, it's, it's totally fine to ask for help, but don't have everything be a cry for help, right? Like there's a different way to show up authentically, what does authenticity look like on the internet? Uh, I mean, I think it's really a discernment process that okay. you, I'm, I might give some frameworks and definitions and a whole lot of examples, mm-hmm. but you get to define that for you. It might be a gut check of like you post something and then it just doesn't feel right. right. Or you get really excited about jumping onto some kind of thread that you see shared. Um, but it's it's turning 
consciousness on, mindfulness on from what we are intaking, like when we're scrolling through, mm -hmm. but also then what we want to share. Because there's also this thing of like, there's intent versus impact. We can't always control how this thing's going to be received. Yeah. So we also have to really... Um, we at least need to sit with ourselves to know what I'm doing. I'm making this choice to do it because there's plenty of like text messages and emails that I've regretted, right? Like that should have waited a second on that one. <laughs> um, so, so yeah, I don't want to like, and, and there's authentic leadership definitions and there's a whole chapter just mm -hmm. taking different leadership theories and saying, what would transformational leadership tell a leader to think about how they could show up on social or yeah. strengths finder or, you know, I pick like six or seven or so. Um, and again, like, I don't think a lot of people have thought about it through that lens. It's, it's not a cookie cutter model, like take mm -hmm. what you need to navigate these tools that are stupidly complicated. Um, what they say about research, getting your doctorate, it's also me-search. Mm. So you're researching really probably stuff that you're working through. Yeah. And I, I mean, talking about imposter syndrome, like I struggle a lot sometimes in putting myself out there or, I mean, don't even get me started about conflicts or like politics. Like, What's the matter with conflict, Josie? I mean. <laughs> Tell me. No. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. Yeah. So. Um, there's so many things. There's so many things with that, um, that. uh yeah, there, there's moments where they're super uncomfortable and, and how do you handle it and what does it look like? And so, I mean, I mean, I think you made some really cool points uh, in there for sure. Uh, and what do those different leadership styles look like uh, on the internet, right? And how do they show up? They certainly do. We don't often just call them that, right? Mm -hmm. um, but but they're, that doesn't mean that they're not there, right? Like servant, like servant leadership is most certainly uh, all over. Uh, right. all over the internet for sure. Right. Yeah. We just don't necessarily. I mean, I would, I would love someone to take this book and framework and research and turn it on its head for um, a critical lens of it because yeah. I'm a white woman uh, and I tried to feature all kinds of people from different backgrounds. So it mm -hmm. wasn't, this isn't just my story or my lens, but this is how different identities are showing up. But I, when we talk about authenticity, we have to also call that out is mm -hmm. again, based on position level identity, like all these things that there are some that can show up in the way that exactly how they want to in both digital and physical places. And then, um, others, it's a constant navigation that isn't as privileged. So let's jump in to my favorite segment, aka the only segment that I have, uh, which uh, which is called Things You Didn't Know About Me Before But Are Now Glad You Did. Also, please note, Josie, the name of the segment changes every time. Uh, but the general gist is there. So you and I are going to share some random facts about ourselves. Um, and then, uh, and then we are, uh, we'll see what spawns out of that. And then we'll jump back into some of that other stuff around social media. Cause I'm excited to talk to you more about it. All right, let's go. I'll go first, Josie. I'm putting you on the spot. It's the least I could do. All right. In middle school, in middle school, I won a free throw shooting competition in basketball. Uh, I won the local level. I did not win the county. 
Congratulations. Thanks. I quit basketball in seventh grade after I missed every single free throw that I got put on the line for. <laughs> like, this is my sign. I love that. I love that. <laughs> uh, okay. So I go. Yeah, please. Okay. Well, this is why I was like, did you see my notes? Cause I, you gave me this question and I wrote a few things down. Um, a random fact, especially during quarantine, my favorite Instagram accounts to follow are llamas. Are they really? Because the video you just showed. <laughs> I was like, did he see that? Um, and I really want to do a video of a side-by-side -side comparison. You know, on Instagram, like discovery tab, mm -hmm. it basically like reads your algorithm of like, these are the things you like. If you were like really honest with yourself, yes. right? Like what's yep. your what you're interacting with. And mine is like llamas and cats and like my friends, you know, like happy stuff. If you were to put side by side, my husband's search browser, it would be horrifying because his favorite Instagram account is called death is metal, I think, or animals metal. You have to ask him about it next week because I mean, it's basically animals being animals, which is kind of horrifying sometimes as they like, eat each other right or yeah. just we're just such different people <laughs> do you share like does he share some stuff with you be like you gotta watch these two hippos and you're like you gotta watch these two baby ducklings <laughs> uh no he knows better than that but okay sometimes i'll catch him like looking at something yeah. I guess I'd rather catch him looking at that, right? <laughs> That's true. That's true. There, there's, there's definitely some worse stuff on the internet. <clears throat> That's awesome. Uh, Tina's favorite thing are, and here's, I don't know the difference between llamas and alpacas. If you know the difference between llamas and alpacas, can you let me know in the chat, folks? And maybe you know yourself, Josie, I don't know. But uh, but either way, but either way, I mean, people don't talk about llama fur, but they talk about alpaca fur. Uh, but other than that, I don't know the difference to them, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, but They're either way, adorable. yeah, yeah. Tina has a ton of alpaca things. And when I was out in Montana last week, I actually bought her a, uh, a dish towel for the holidays that has an alpaca wearing a Santa hat. And, uh, she literally jumped over the moon, <laughs> you know, sometimes when you nail it, you nail it. You do. <laughs> um, that's awesome. Um, okay. Here is another fun fact about me. I pretty much never used napkins uh, for anything. Uh, I have, I just like, we have napkins in the house. I don't use them. Uh, I'm pretty much only like, I grew up in a household and this is going to be maybe unfortunate for some, but we used to have a dish rag. Um, and, and so like, there's like a rag that you keep by the sink. Sometimes I bring it over the table and I wipe my face with it. Uh, and that's what I use. I'm not judging. <laughs> Thank you. Fish it. You wash it eventually, right? Eventually, yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right, hit me with one more fact, Josie. One more. Okay. Um, so I played soccer in college by accident a little bit. I didn't go. <laughs> by accident? Well, I didn't go to college like on a soccer so scholarship or anything. Yeah. Like I played club. And then Title IX, they added soccer my after my freshman year. Uh, okay. But all leading up to that, I only played soccer with dudes. There was never enough to form a team for just women. So that's my oddball. So also, I got 
hurt a lot. I got my air knocked out a lot. Yeah. Because <laughs> I was playing with like guys your size. For sure. Yeah. Wyoming boys, as we talked about. Um, <laughs> and my now, brother. <laughs> and your brother, touche, touche, who probably cared less about you than the other strangers. Um, <laughs> um, loved you more, but in the meaning. Yeah. So, uh, so, okay. So you play with predominantly uh, the boys growing up. And now is, did that make you a better soccer player? Do you think, or do you think it like, like how did, how did that impact you? Well, I was definitely like tactically, I was put in to frustrate the defense. I wouldn't say I was technically skilled. Okay. Um, so I just like <laughs> ran around a lot. Cause that's what I had to do. Like, playing with all men, boys, whatever you call them at the time. Uh, I, I had to like scoot around quite quickly. Uh, so, but I guess what it was a disadvantage was um, like basically women's sports in college is a sorority. Like there's identity, like literally you're wearing your colors and your letters yeah. together and you spend a whole lot of time together. So, I mean, what, I played the card of basically like team mom to try to like <laughs> take care of these girls. Um, so, yeah, that was that was just like new to me. Yeah, that sounds like quite an abrupt switch. It was. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, it didn't come naturally, but. <laughs> Since then, have you found that, I mean, well, let me ask, I'll ask you two questions. Growing up, were you friends with more, uh, more boys or more girls? Would you say? Hmm. Um, boyfriends. I had boyfriends. Get it, Josie. Boyfriends. <laughs> um, I mean, okay. So to like, the, I, especially in middle school, yeah. um, I had a hard go at it with girls and mm -hmm. I got picked on a lot. And the way that I overcame it was to become super involved. I was like vice president, president, everything and sports. And and like the other coping me mechanism was to like have a boyfriend. They were like the security blanket a little bit. So it honestly wasn't into, until adulthood that I figured out how to have healthy female relationships mm. because – yeah. Most of it was all based around competition. Um, and it still is something, again, that doesn't – I have to work at it. And and making friends as an adult is already super difficult. <laughs> yes, right. <laughs> um, so I do have regrets about not investing as much time into not only the skill but the relationship with women, um, you know, like earlier on. Um, but yeah. I think I just got, I just kind of got the short end of the stick a number of times where there was some trust stuff mm -hmm. I had to work through. Yeah. So I guess like guy, I had more guy friends for sure. Sure. Yeah. And a slew of boyfriends, apparently good. Get it. Good for you, Josie. <laughs> um, <clears throat> so <laughs> the thing is, my poor dad, I he was a, a peaceful man. <laughs> if you just would have sent me to therapy, I get there it is. There Just it is. Kidding. Dad, if you're listening, um, no. <laughs> there's still time. But 
uh, it's fascinating because Tina, my wife, um, you know, she talks to women because she, she, she learned at a later age that women need women and the power of female friendships. But she also, uh, had, she really, she didn't have boyfriends. She had one boyfriend for a very long time and they were on and off again. And, uh, but, but they did it for quite some time, like through college and then even a little in grad school and whatnot. And so, um, and so it was, interesting for her to learn much like you did the power of female friendships um, and the difference. How would you, if you could describe the difference between female friendships that now that you now have and some of those friendships with men that you've had, how would you, how would you describe that? Is it just a level? Is it the, is it the empathy that is there that's powerful or, you know, what, what are some of the big differences that you've noticed? Hmm. Well, I think it also coincided with me recognizing and embracing my identity as a woman, because mm. also and for like where I grew up, um, I don't think that was really expressed or explored as kids or teens. And especially the, it, there's such a, um, you know, like rough and tough identity that you are kind of pushed to take on this like rough uh, exterior. Yeah. Uh, and again, there's, I could work and and uh work ethic and and still stay humble like all day um so i feel like the two k like i had to do my own work to also understand how to show up for another woman and where she was and i do think my friends out here that i have met already they almost helped my I guess exploration of that, even though like yeah. we maybe never talked about it. Like, what does it mean to be a woman? Or, um, <laughs> I learned from them, I think, to then really be able to sit in my skin and, and what that looks like differently. I also feel like it was we I, I don't know if y'all experience I didn't think anything would feel different when I got married. I'm like, I've been with this dude forever. Like, I'm just changing my last name. Yeah. But for some reason, that really pushed me into um want to know myself more and to understand how to show up, not just in that relationship, but in everything that I did that I was just so surprised about. And not to say that that always came across smoothly. Like no. I think maybe there was not a rebel, but like, Oh, I need to, I need to figure out and do my own thing. Um, and not, you know, because this is, this is a forever thing now. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know if I answered your question, but this therapy session's been great. <laughs> I'll put my Venmo at the bottom of the screen. Um, <laughs> the, uh, <laughs> no, I think, I mean, that's so, that's so fascinating um, because I mean, one thing that I've talked to a number of friends about earlier, uh, about not earlier, uh, just in general in uh, you know, in the recent months is who are those friends that round the corner with you? Right. You have your friends from different stages of life, but not, you know, every time you round a corner right into marriage, into parenting, into a move, into whatever, like whatever the big turns of life are, even college. Right. Graduating, those kind of things um, there. You have a core group of friends or you have a core group of friends that make the turn with you. But there's a whole bunch of other people that you had great relationships with, perfectly fine people, no beef whatsoever, but they're kind of always just going to be those people that you did those some some of those things with. And whenever you get together with them, you're going to talk about those things and reminisce. It's going to be awesome. What a beautiful time. We'll laugh, we'll cry, all that kind of stuff. And they'll be like, cool, uh, take care. I'm not going to talk to you about my retirement plans or my uh, insurance or, or like, you know, my investments and things like that. It's so interesting to note 
who who rounds the corner with you. And for you, hearing you talk a little bit about that um, with your with your LA friends and kind of how they helped make you realize some of these things. I mean, it's those moments that make you want to hold on to some of those individuals. Be like, I want to round corners with you. Um, right. I think it's, it's a cool, a cool thing that happened with those individuals and and what a powerful, what a powerful gift to, to give to somebody, albeit unknowingly that you're helping them explore themselves. Mm. And, and identify deeper with who they are um, or identify newly with who they are. Uh, I think that's super cool. Well, I mean, you're obviously not out here in LA, but I think I would definitely count you into that crew where I think in friendships before I would have felt um, hurt if someone like called me out on something or like challenged me um, and and maybe that just comes with time, but I feel like a, like you would call me on like something that you're like, GLC, you know, that's not true. Stop it. I'm like, you're right. I'm just wallowing right now. <laughs> Let me wallow. Um, but also I feel like my gauge is um, in friendships and the turning of the curves and things is uh, and, and to kind of bring it back to you is I don't feel like I am a bother or that I'm like going to be asking too much that there's just like this unsaid, um, open door. Um, and, and, and so that's where I can tell like someone, I feel like I might be having to ask a favor to, or that, that means our friendships maybe not there yet. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, yeah. But here's the fun thing about us, Josie, is that we met on the interwebs, um, right? And and you reached, uh, we, we, we were both following each other. Um, and because I highly respected your work and just knew that you were a, a mover and shaker um, in the industry. Um, and this was especially when I was working in a more formal capacity in higher education. Um, like you're just putting out a lot of really cool things. Um, and, uh, and, and you're and you truly were and are an influencer in the higher education space. And so it's like, you know, I got I got to hold on to these coattails, and if, if the only way I can do that was with a follow, then that's how we're going to start. Um, but it's cool because our friendship grew grew over time from then as we got to know each other, whether it was conferences, phone calls, and things like that. Um, and it's beautiful because the internet was built. Well, not the internet, but social media was built first off as a marketing tool. And that's fine. We can leave that as it is. Well done, uh, Zuckerberg. It's a giant marketing machine that you've built. Um, But data, uh, data, right? Exactly. And so, um, but it was also built under this idea of connection right? Or let's connect individuals, you know, at first on this college campus or like my, what MySpace did, Friendster before that, right? All these kind of things is that connection. Um, and it's beautiful because we are proof that the internet can connect in a really meaningful way. Um, and so that's awesome. But here's my question for you as we kind of shift into the 2020 of it all, if you will, um, <laughs> is that, Social media was built to connect us. In your opinion, Josie, how's it doing? <laughs> how's it doing? Oh, gosh. I guess it depends on the platform. I mean, yeah, I am so grateful for a tool like Twitter. I would not have started a business nor met so many amazing people. Twitter, though, is much different than it was when we met 
Um, you can still forge those same connections, but you have to go in even more intentionally, um, because it's busier and there's a little bit more distractions and problemsome directions you could go in. Mm -hmm. I mean, like YouTube, if you watch one wrong video that you were just maybe curious about, or you wanted to see both sides on, it's going to feed you that the algorithm is going to give you that whatever it is over and over and over. So you have to keep your consciousness on all the time and not like questioning everything, but awareness, like, like I said about Facebook, they are taking your data, like you choosing to be on that platform. Please don't tell me like, Oh my gosh, I can't believe it. They have my pictures. Like it's their platform. I'm sorry. I have to break it to you like that. I know that's kind of Instagram, like even email, we are on Gmail. Like I get served ads from stuff that I know I've wrote in an email, like the conversations about privacy are pretty wild and problematic that we, I know I I learned how to write a check, I think in second grade or third grade, (laughs) Uh like who writes checks anymore, right? Like these conversations need to happen super young, (laughs) but unfortunately (laughs) a lot of adults we're not having just the basic conversations and now we're headed into an election. And um, I think just know what the context and culture is of different platforms Mm -hmm. and own your truth. And if you're going to post something, just own it everywhere. And whether Mm -hmm. what that response is going to be or not, I learned the hard way last election season. I had like, family out of the woodworks coming at me. I was like, geez, I would have never thought they would have posted those comments. They would never have said those things to me to my face. They hugged me when I saw them next time. Like it didn't even happen. So some folks don't see the the connect like we did, right? We knew there was a connection. There was this hearts and friendship discovery on Twitter. And then we met up and it was, it was great. But some folks don't have that. They don't see that connection that this is actually real and makes an impact. So I'm not like judging on those people, but I don't know if that's what you want. <laughs> right now. Josie, I don't know what I want either. I ramble and eventually <laughs> just do a little like, huh? And that's when people are supposed to start talking. Um, <laughs> I'm ending on a question. Um, and then, and then you out. chime in. <laughs> That's, that's pretty much how this works right here, in case anybody was wondering. Oh um, <laughs> uh, it's only fitting that we put our social media handles up for this. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think you're right. I mean, the Internet emboldens people, right? And you don't need to look any further than every comment thread on any political post. Um, and the way that it emboldens individuals is fascinating. And I, I had a conversation with uh, a former student that I worked with. Who was a conservative? Who was a conservative man, uh, very pro guns, um, and, uh, and and believes that Black Lives Matter is a political organization, um, and uh, that was started by white Democrats, um, right? Like, and and so, uh, so that's that's where he camps out, and that's you know, I mean, I guess to each their own. But uh, it's interesting because whenever he would comment on my posts, um, whenever he commented on my posts, uh, he would be he would come for my neck. And say things like, oh, I'm just, I just, I just thought you were like, he would say things that like my parents 
would have said to me a long time ago and probably still could, uh, where things like, I just thought you were better than this, or I thought you were smarter than that, or I thought you were this, that like the, these like shame driven comments of I'm disappointed in you. Um, and, uh, and we all know the shame's not an effective teaching tool. Um, so I'm not being taught. I'm just being made angry. And, but he did it a number of times until one point I had to, you know, I just reached out to him and anytime he would write something, I would respond back, not in a, well, how about you? And you're blah, 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 blah. I was like, no, I gotta, we gotta keep a level out here. Um, and, uh, and so, but there came a point in time where I reached out to him uh, also on social media. Um, and, uh, and I just said, I was like, you know, I don't know what happened here. I don't know what the years have done to us. Mm -hmm. I don't know when I started disappointing you this much. We used to laugh. We used to have one-on-ones. We used to, you know, talk about, uh, you know, relationships that we were in. We talk about fishing. We talked about all these things. Like, I don't under, like, when did it get to a point where this is how you talk to me? Like, what did I, like, maybe I misunderstood our relationship and I didn't come for him in some like, uh, like woe is me type of way, but it was in, in that same context where it's like, it, talk to me about why you don't talk to me. Like we have a history and why we don't have a, a relationship. Um, and, uh, and it was powerful. He wrote back something very kind, very self-aware and, uh, and it, it was great. And, and honestly, I'm very grateful that he, that I didn't smash that unfollow button or that unfriend mm-hmm. button because it's because of people like him that I follow that I get to hear other stories Mm. Right, that I don't just hear the one side uh, that I typically fall on, and, mm. and instead I hear some of these other sides of like, oh, interesting. I never thought of it that way, or that's you can see why this led to that if people thought this and and whatnot. And so, right. uh, and and so, I mean, that's why like cancel culture is not really effective. Um, and uh, and so it's just it's just fascinating though when we think about that connection where you know kind of like what we were talking about, like the internet was meant to bring people together, but it's very successfully through a lot of these algorithms, through a lot of these uh, means data tracking um, that uh, is really pushing us apart and creating these different camps. And it's not very effective at its initial goal, in my opinion. Well, I love the example you shared in, um, you humanized it. You brought it back to relationships and maybe yeah. you did that in a DM or maybe you did it publicly in a thread. I think, again, to know each platform and it these are tools, just like a phone call, just like an email or a text message. Mm-hmm. None of these are going to solve or change someone's mind, honestly. And so keeping it to the relational piece. And then we have to make choices like, is this person important to me that I, or is this conversation, do I have something to grow and learn from? Like you said, I don't want just all the same thinking in my feed. Just like I didn't want that growing up. I noticed I was surrounded by all the same types of people. Um, so have that in mind. Instagram is only, is just for photos, right? Twitter has X amount of characters. These aren't end all, they're tools. And that does not replace the relationship piece of it. Um, and then the bridge to the equation is you making a choice whether you want to maintain that relationship. Like what's the scales that you're you're willing to play? And emotions feed into all of this. Again, like social media is very personal. And so most of the time when we see a lot of 
well, you could call it dumpster fires or you could call it conflict, whatever you say. People get caught up in these emotions. We are activated chemically to some are to keep going. For me, I like run for the hills. I open a bottle of wine and I'm not going back online. Um, so we're all reacting. So sit with that. Why am I reacting this way? Again, what's this relationship? Where's the best place to connect and have the conversation? Not just from what you post, but how you're interacting. Um, because, because yeah, I have a lot of connections back home that see things much differently than I. And so I weigh the scales of the, the investment of that relationship versus, you know, just the emotional outpouring that I feel like needs to happen in this space. Yeah. But here's a beautiful thing for you, Josie, as you talked about those relationships with people at home and the differences with individuals that you spoke about is that, and, and you're like, and you're like, but well, we get to family gatherings and we hug each other, but that is directly in line with what you talked about earlier about that small town living of like you have each other's backs. It's like, yeah, maybe we think differently, but at the end of the day, we're family, right? At the end of the day, small town folks got to look out for small town folks. And there's, there's a real beautiful, there's some beauty in that, right? The ability to disagree, but still hug is great, right? Like uh, I think that's a really beautiful place that I wish more people could get to with each other. I miss hugs. I've got, yeah, yeah, amen to that. We're so going to hug so hard whenever it's, we can. It's, it's, it's on. It's, it's on. on. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> I love that. Here's the last thing that I want to talk to you about. Um, and, and just kind of sticking on the same theme. Uh, in, your, uh, in your experience, um, I'm curious how effective you believe hashtag activism is now we see um obviously the hashtag black lives matter hashtag me too movement hashtag uh um it's on us hashtag like all these powerful movements that have that have been created and spawned through hashtags um uh, but we also see the other movements of more than a hashtag and whatnot and so when we think about activism and the role that we play and the voice that we have and the microphones we have access to do you believe that hashtag activism is effective what role should it could it play should i post one thing on my instagram story with a hashtag and be like i saved the world i'm like what is it what does it look like to you in your experience yeah i mean i think it goes back to discernment and self-awareness that am i posting this just to feel less guilt that mm. or especially in higher education um, there is a culture of feeling like we have to put out these statements that then again, like check a box to say we said the right things. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I've made my statement uh, to again, like check off that box. And that is not what activism is. That's being performative. Um, so is it actually better to save that time to actually do something that no one is ever going to see if it's that donation or if it's lifting up someone else's voice. And that's what I commit my time to do mm. is to find those voices, to use my platforms for that or empowerment or mentorship. Um, so while we know, especially Twitter was a huge spark for the Black Lives Matter movement and continues to be, but it isn't just a hashtag. Um, and it, it's part of the equation, um, but it can't, it can't just be like, crossing that list, um, that thing off your list that day. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's something, it's something you can do, uh, that adds your part of the story, but that doesn't mean you've done the work. Um, uh, 
uh, and the internal work and also the external work of, of, of community, of listening to stories, of uplifting voices, of, uh, of, of getting in the work, of checking your own uh, situations. Um, but it is it does play a role. Um, I think it's powerful the way that you put that, Josie. Uh, and I appreciate you, friend. Uh, I think it is I think it is illuminating. Right. I think there's a lot of individuals, especially right now in the middle of the social uprising that we are in, um, that are now part of the conversation that maybe wouldn't without social media. Uh, and in a lot of ways, that's very good. Um, in a lot of ways, a lot of individuals are like, wow, I never thought someone like that would feel this way. Right. I just always thought blank and blank and blank. Cause that's all I ever knew. Mm-hmm. Um, and we have access to more stories and access to more emotions. And there's mm-hmm. some beauty in that. Uh, we also obviously know the dark side of it as well. Um, but uh, I don't know. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't know if they necessarily level out, right? I think that access to more stories mm-hmm. is usually a good thing. Um, I, it's, I, it's it's always what I what I used to say that when I first went to school down in the south, um, and this was you know back in the early two thousands. Not to date myself, <laughs> don't let the silver fox look fool you. But um, <laughs> but uh, you know uh, going down there, everybody's like, oh, it's racist down there, racist, racist, racist. And uh, and and when I went down there, I was like, oh my god, it's gonna be so racist everywhere. And yes, was there was there more visible signs of racism there? Sure, um, mm-hmm. but it turns out. If you just lift up one, peel back one layer of the onion, Shrek, uh, you can also see all of the racism in the Northeast um, and out West and all those kind of places, right? Like, I mean, yes, uh, Portland is seen as this liberal bastion, uh, but the history of Oregon is very white and very racist. Um, mm. And it's fascinating, right? Like, and so uh, it's so it's so interesting to think about it. Uh, and And for me, I would rather have it out there because then we know what the deal, then we know what's going on. Right. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, I, I don't know. So I mean, it, it's it, better it, out than it, in again to bring Shrek up again. <laughs> <laughs> Donkey. Um, well, I think it, um, it quickens the pace of exposure. So mm-hmm. growing up, all we had was local news and newspapers, right. To like rely on like this, this is the world, I guess. Yeah. Um, and so now no matter where you live, you have access to knowledge, but it, all, that could also be quite overwhelming when it's, it's especially people or lifestyles that you've never seen before. Um, and so sometimes that, that learning curve could get overwhelming to a person that, maybe that never left my hometown. Um, and again, you talk about don't do shaming culture or from masks to movements to elections, um, having relational conversations, even if you can do that on social or get it offline, I think would be a bridge instead mm-hmm. of going into that circumstance to, to cause more, um, to cause more flames to bring it back. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And well done bringing it back too, uh, <laughs> Josie, it has been so much fun hanging out with you. Uh, I can't thank you enough for hopping in the diner with me tonight. It was a treat. I am full <laughs> of laughter. You didn't make me cry. Thank you. I thought about it. I thought it, you could have went there. You really could have. I even got my hair cut and did for this. Oh, shoot. Okay. Go ahead. (laughs) (laughs) It's been six months. It was. It was was time. It was time. Mm -hmm. How long was it? Was it like. The length? 
Yeah, was it like I all don't the- know. It was more the other highlights that were happening. Okay, got you, got you, got you. Need to be cleaned up a little bit. Uh, got you, got <laughs> I mean, you. I got a book launch next yeah. week. So. I mean, come on now, come on now. <laughs> Uh, Josie, you do have a book launch coming out next week. And so I'm super excited. The individuals uh, that are on here uh, that can please make sure that you check out uh, josiealquist.com backslash digital leadership. Um, by the time those of you who are listening on the podcast hear this, um, the book will already be out. So make sure it'll that you just, sold just out. Go ahead and, it'll be sold out. <laughs> you don't did miss it. Um, it's also on Amazon and, uh, and, and please pick it up there for sure. Um, but Josie, I love, uh, I, don't know, I don't know if individuals watching have any questions for you as always i love to ask with the QA. and so if individuals have questions for those please put those into the chat uh and we'll get to those but for those of you uh, who are listening to the podcast if you want to hear the q a between josie and i please check out my youtube page just type in james t robo on youtube and it'll, it's going to pop up uh that's james t robo and connect there uh and be able to find this episode and learn a little bit more about josie um and thank you so much for you on the podcast i hope you all be well and take care Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of Diner Talks with James. It was so much fun getting to hang out with you and finish our milkshakes in that squeaky red leather booth. (laughs) If you do me a favor and smash that subscribe button, that would be dope. And also, if you could leave a review on iTunes, well, come on now, you're going to make me blush. (laughs) Also, if you want to be a part of the action, we record these live on YouTube Live every Wednesday night at 9 o'clock p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Go to YouTube and type in James T. Robo and smash that red subscribe button so you know when we go live next. Also, while we're on the subject, I'm James T. Robo all over the internet. I post meaningful content on Instagram, witty content on Twitter. Let's get connected in some other places, folks. And as always, if you're interested in learning more about the guest tonight, please check out the show notes. My friends, until next time, keep punching small talk in the face by asking better questions. Y'all take care.